Hi there, this is Laren Baker, and welcome back to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, I am honored to chat with Ed and Ryan Mitchell, the pitmasters of the famed Mitchell's Ribs Chicken and Barbecue in North Carolina. Ed has been cooking whole hog barbecue since he was a teenager, but it wasn't until his mid-40s that life steered him to devote his life to the tradition. His son, Ryan, has brought his background in finance to the family business. After eight years working in commercial and investment banking, he returned to his roots in barbecue to work with his father. As the family business has grown, so has their reputation. Ed has cooked all over the world, including the James Beard House in New York. And I'm sure you've seen Ed featured on television series, including Michael Pollan's Cooked on Netflix, Anthony Bourdain's A Cook's Tour, and Beat Bobby Flay. The family restaurant has transitioned to the Preserve, which opens this summer in Raleigh. And Ed's sauces and rubs, true made foods, are available at stores nationwide. They recently published a cookbook, Ed Mitchell's Barbecue, which celebrates the history and tradition of whole hog barbecue. I am so excited to welcome Ed and Ryan to the podcast. Hello. How are you doing? I am so excited. I have been a fan from afar because I haven't been lucky enough to visit North Carolina, but you are on my bucket list, uh, my barbecue bucket list, (laughs) I should say. So I have been a fan and I've been so excited to chat with you. And I was really, really thrilled to see that you came out with this book. And I've really been enjoying reading it because it's just, it is so gem-packed with so much history. And we'll get to that because before I begin, I always start by asking, what's the first thing you ever cooked and about how old were you? And I'd love to know the answer for both. The first thing? Well, I love the uh, barbecue ribs, cooked ribs. First thing, one of the first things I cooked. How old were you? Oh, I, let's see, my dad, worked with my dad and granddad. I was a teenager, maybe about 14, 15 years of age. Definitely your first foray into barbecue, because I guess you've been watching it your whole life. Oh, yeah. I've my whole life. <laughs> but, well, the best thing I ever cooked was a grilled cheese sandwich. I didn't, I didn't start outside, and I think I was probably about eight, about seven years old, home by myself, getting hungry. So I made a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> so so easy. Nice and easy. That's a good start, I think, for most kids. Grilled cheese is probably a really popular way to start. <laughs> Well, I would love, Ed, if you could just tell everyone, I know that you have quite a story, um, but maybe if for people who aren't familiar, a little bit more about yourself, because you weren't working in barbecue for a large part of your adult life, and what life looked like before you decided to find uh, to start Mitchell's Ribs Chicken and Barbecue. Uh, I was working through Ford Motor Company as a uh, trainee, as a developer to for customer service after coming out of college and service and so worked there for about four years and went through the phase of uh having my father become ill and uh, forced me back home back when i said back home back to north carolina because at the time i was living in, in boston and from there just sort of jumped in to help my mother run the family uh, mom and pop grocery store. And then I began um, helping her out, uh, cooking meals for our daily routine. And so I began cooking traditional stuff that the family always did, which was 
do some sort of barbecuing and I began cooking barbecue and she and I began to enjoy a late meal and that sort of led into where, where I am now cooking barbecue. <laughs> um, we didn't really um, plan it. It was just something that uh, I was doing mainly to, as I said before, to fix us a late afternoon lunch uh, down in the, in the family business. And from there, the smell of the barbecue that I was cooking, the aroma got into the <laughs> into the air around the community and they quickly realized that somebody was cooking barbecue someplace and so they found out that we were cooking it at the at the mom and pop grocery store. And so they found out that we were doing that and came in and we sold them some and the rest is history. Yeah, you you tell the story so beautifully in the book about how you had already closed up the store for the night and you heard a knock at the door. Someone else was looking for more barbecue. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a real kicker there. Uh, I was um, sort of um, being the enforcer there to protect my mom and uh, we'd uh, I closed the door early while she was getting her belongings together. So we didn't want anyone to come in and perhaps disturb her or trying to do something not beneficial to us. And so, and they were so forced to try to get in the door. And I was, I was wondering what, what in the world was so emphatic that they want to come in so early. So I, I put a little bass in my voice says, who is it? <laughs> and, they, and the guy says, uh, it was Mitchell. We 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 come to get some more of that barbecue. Got them. I says, "Well, we don't have any right now, but we'll have some more tomorrow." <laughs> and so that was that was really funny. And so, and I never forget what my mom responded right after that incident. She said, "Well, she told me you continue to go back and cook barbecue traditional like in the old way, like they used to, and add these different uh, sides to them, these greens and stuff." That, she was canting the um, the greens and the sides that we were having for our lunch. If I incorporate that into the barbecue menu, I will be surprised. And so I'm a mama's boy. I took her word. Next day, I got up early that morning and got another pig and put it on. And lo and behold, the aroma got in the air and people found out we were still cooking barbecue and they started coming and buying more barbecue than we actually were selling the groceries in the grocery store. And so we, we did a transition from that part to transition out uh, the canned goods out of the grocery store and began setting up tables so that people could have a place to sit down and, and eat. And we quickly emerged very quickly into cooking from a grocery store, mom and pop grocery store to cooking barbecue. That's how we got started. It's such a, an incredible story and a testament to, first of all, how delicious the barbecue is. But also, I love how this type of cooking out of necessity and maybe just looking for comfort in, in you know, those familiar flavors parlayed into the next passion of your life and how you've devoted your life now to barbecue that everyone is loving. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I tell people all the time we didn't. Uh, we got into the barbecue business really 
as therapy from a place of pain, uh, you know, out of grieving, you know, out of using, you know, the hospitality that comes with preparing something for so many people. We use those gifts to kind of get through some trauma. And the barbecue was just a result of, uh, of us trying to just uh, recreate our bonds as a family uh, after those of my grandfather. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the sport cooking that you see today is not how we enter the business. Uh, so um, we take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, it, it definitely came from a place of love with a lot of heart. And it's interesting because I feel like the tradition of roasting a pig is very deep in Southern barbecue, but it's also one that you can find in so many other cultures. For example, my Filipino heritage, there is the tradition of lechon. One of my most poignant memories as a child was going to vacation in the Philippines. And at the time, my uncle had a pig farm. And I will never forget, he brought home a perfectly roasted lechon. It was in the trunk of his car. And um, I just, I'll never forget that. It left such a mark. But have you had a chance to talk to other pit masters in the world to compare notes on how you prepare the pig? Well, yeah. yeah we've had conversations with several people. Of course, we've been fortunate enough to travel around uh, the country. Uh, we've been to Australia and uh, we've been to Brazil. And so we, we, we had an opportunity to compare notes with people that does it. In other cultures. This time last year, uh, we were in Brazil at the uh, Churrascada Barbecue Festival. And that was such a, um, you know, it's funny you bring that up because we were there cooking, you know, whole hog barbecue. And there were about eight or nine different cultural renditions, you know, of people preparing barbecue, uh, whether it was the, the, some were doing goats, some were doing the entire cow. Uh, multiple guys were doing, you know, the whole hog, but each in a different cooking culture. You know, some of it was a day-long smoke in a box on the ground. Some of it was, you know, a continual uh, spitfire roasting over, you know, almost like Ferris wheel type of smokers. <laughs> you know, we even learned about, um, you know, a culture uh, in the Amazon that prepares barbecue you know, like kind of like uh, they have these smokers and smoke boxes that sit up in trees that that are away from the ground from the uh, from from the other animals in the jungle that could get to them. Wow. So they, I mean, it was it was an eye open experience. But as you as you relate it, you know, uh, at some point, each culture kind of shares that one thing we all have in common that is the element of fire. You know, and it is. Uh, you know, it is the most natural way that we have prepared our food as a civilization. So uh, everyone is unique, you know. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to touch on something that you point out in the book, which I thought was really interesting and in how when you are treating the word barbecue, you specifically go with barbecue, Q-U-E versus C-U-E. And I thought that was such an interesting tidbit. Maybe you could tell everybody why you made that choice. Yeah, we made that choice because, um, you know, Eastern North Carolina, we are just a, a high, you know, up the highway from Wilmington. Wilmington, you know, was the um, the uh, one, of, one of the slave ports uh, for the Carolinas. And 
the early settlers there, you know, had a huge, um, you know, French dialect and language, and they used uh, QUE. QUE was the roasting of the animal, of an entire animal. Mm -hmm. And that was very specific uh, in how they pronounced barbecue. Uh, it was a French spelling, which, which later translated in, into uh, what we talk uh, uh, plantation creole, you know, the slang that's used, the kind of, then the dialects that are used to describe roasting the entire animal versus roasting of different parts of the animal. The QUE was always associated with roasting of an entire animal over flames. And so that was very specific when we started to take the path of, you know, crap, uh, perfecting the craft of cooking the whole hog. Uh, it's, it's the entire animal from the rooter to the tutor. And so we wanted to stay, <laughs> we wanted to stay true to the, not just the craft, but the language that was used, you know, all plant, from, from plantation times through, um, you know, just early settler life. Once uh, slaves kind of migrated up to up to different parts of the Carolinas, up through South Carolina and on up to New Orleans, um, you know, we kind of treated the language and the communication, you know, very specific in the book for that reason. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. And what I also love about your book is that you really go into depth about the history of whole hog barbecue on the plantation and how that informs how you cook today. Maybe you could tell everybody a little bit more about the history of the whole hog barbecue. Well, the whole hog barbecue uh, plantation was really for cooking for the plantation owner who was at the time putting on what we call a sheen dean for the, his, his, the people that worked on the farm and people that lived on the farm. And um, the, the fact of the matter to uh, cook for such a large amount of people, you had to have um, a certain amount of skill to be able to do that. And so we, uh, we were tasked with the, uh, given the task of, of cooking the whole hog because of uh, the oldest guy on the plantation was referred to as a pit boy because he, even though he was an older, older man, he was, he specialized in his craft. And so to me, I got a great reward of honoring that particular guy that did that from a boy to a man. So I started using the word pit master instead of pit boy. And the master was the guy that actually knew how to create the different techniques in order to perfect the art of cooking it, the whole hog. Yeah, and these days in North Carolina, you have the pig picking. So what is it like these days? Well, the pig picking is real, uh, is, is, is a very fun way of involving the entire family and the entire group of people there uh, who actually to be able to cook the animal rather than uh, deboning him out, the, the pit master to be able to debone him and, and then put him into different little pans to be served. We left him whole so that uh, each individual could come by and sort of be able to pick off and the, the hog, the certain part that looked appealing to them and it tasted good to them rather than person trying to decide to give you this particular portion because of the, the profile of the animal. We, we let you go in this 
just just do your own do do your own thing. Yeah, the pig, the pig picking is like a uh, it's like a family history lesson of, about your food. You know, if you like uh, you know bacon and ham and or pork chops, you know, seeing the seeing the entire pig there. And you having the opportunity to understand where each piece comes from that you like, that you enjoy, uh, is always kind of like one of the most, you know, that's the highlight of just having people involved with knowing, you know, the sacrifice that the farmers and the animal went through to be, to be there to feed you. Uh, you know, it's all ceremonial, you know, spiritual at the same time, you know, uh, to be able to be grateful and thankful for you know, this large animal that is feeding so many people. And so um, that, that that's kind of the, the cultural experience of being at a backdoor, uh, uh, outdoor pig picking. Yeah, and it, it reminds me too of what you just said earlier about how you use every part of the pig from rooter to tutor. Um, I think that's something that for people who've never maybe experienced a hog slaughter or maybe any animal really, um, you, you learn to appreciate that when you do do that. So I'd love to know, what is your favorite, maybe perhaps unexpected part of the pig? Is it the chitlins? Is it the, <laughs> is it the pig's feet? Well, we love both the chitlins and we love pig feet. Uh, of course, when we do a pig picking now, uh, everybody goes toward trying to get the ribs, you know, ribs are still intact, or get that tenderloin, which is a real nice piece wrapped below the, the back of the pig under the bone and get that out. So that's that's really the highlight of uh, those pieces here. Yeah. The MVP of, the, of uh, the whole hog for me uh, when it's done is always the crackling. Mm. So I go straight for the skin and the crackling, you know, with a little piece of, uh, you know, little piece of meat still attached to it, but some, some vinegar and hot sauce, uh, when the whole hog is done completely and it's done right, you know, the crackling is, uh, you know, is the most enjoyable piece for me. I agree with you, Ryan. I think that's like my favorite. I love how this book celebrates not only the recipes, but the community behind it. You, you pay homage to everyone in the titles, for example. So can you tell everyone first also about Mama Mitchell and the food that she cooked? Yeah, you know, my grandmother is really the matriarch, you know, uh, the centerpiece of how we each kind of springboard uh, in, in this book, from my dad to myself to my uncles, uh, even our co-writer, uh, Zella, because she represents a historical reference. So my grandmother is one of 35 children. My great-grandfather had 35 children, two wives, and she was, you know, the last of the bunch. And I always reference that because... You know, her definition of hospitality and how she cooks and how she desires to take care of everyone is from a completely different time. You know, I mean, it is uh, it, it's really kind of set in a time capsule. I mean, she'll cook a table of food for like two people. You know, it's just all you got to do is just say someone's coming. Someone's coming over and she will pour her soul into trying to prepare something, you know, very, very delicious and very different and very different. And so, but these, these, these points of therapy, you know, are highlighted through her because, you know, she worked on those plantations and she had to make those biscuits and make the chicken and make these sides in environments where she was forced to. And um, 
but she would always find enough energy to come home and prepare for her family uh, because she would always say, you know, uh, you know, my secret ingredient is love. And if I could do it in those environments that I didn't want to, I certainly am not going to shortchange my family uh, and, my, and my children. So that's her definition of hospitality. And, um, and we wanted to make sure that that kind of plays its space as we honor, you know, each, each generation, you know, throughout the book and, and, and the contribution. Yeah, no, it's, it's beautifully done. I really have, I'm still enjoying it. I'm, I've been reading it every night since I've got it. And it's, it's a joy to read really. And also I love that when you look at the recipes, cause you kick it off with the whole hog. When you look at the ingredient list, it's very simple. It's just six ingredients including one 100-pound hog. <laughs> so what are your tips for sourcing a good hog? Uh, well, that depends, I guess, on the, how many people that you're planning on trying to feed uh, as far as the, the size of the animal that we select. So uh, the fact that we, uh, we use uh, nationally raised animals really is the source of, of what we choose that we want to eat. That we want to cook. We got to be. We really, we're really careful with how we how we say that because it's not that we have any problem with the commercialized industry, the way they raise their animals. Uh, but we like to use uh, small farmers that raise the animals in a natural setting, and also to control the diet that they eat, like barley and 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 um, peanuts and uh, things of that nature. It really gives it a good flavor. And like the fact that the animal is raised in a in an easy environment, you know, he's not really in a crate or, or anything that's where he's um, he's in a stressful situation, mm-hmm. and because that has an impact on on how it tastes once we do prepare. We always sourcing the small small farmers markets um, and just you know farmers and um, businesses that are really in the business of producing pasture-raised animals, you know, pasture-raised pork. That's going to always give you the best, the best taste. Berkshires, Duroc, those are the best quality animals to try and put on the smoker. They, they, they um, are very good. Yeah. And then once you have your, the best ingredient that com- combined with the love that you guys have and the passion that just makes for a delicious product. Yes, right. Oak wood, charcoal. I know, uh, you know, vinegar is an acquired taste for everyone, but if they give it a shot, you know, it'll, it'll be something that they enjoy. Yeah. One one of these days, I'd love to, to try it. You know, I think it's an endeavor, but, you know, we could we can make it happen. Maybe I'll do half a hog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start with a half a hog or a quarter of a piece. You know, yeah. something that's going to get you at least three different flavor profiles, right? So I, I've noticed that you have other conscientious decisions in passing on tradition. Like, for example, your overalls, Ed, that is a decision that you made in passing on the tradition. Maybe you could tell everybody about that. And and then Ryan, I would love to know if you would adopt that one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the overalls are actually a, is a really a tr- tribute to my grandfather. Uh, he wore them because uh, he was a he was a, he was a farmer, and this was his attire. And of course, um, it always give me joy to see him in his overalls and when he's cooking barbecue and 
that sort of give me energy whenever I have an opportunity to uh, to pay tribute to him. And that's that's why I began doing that. And uh, uh, and, the, and the guy that's normally wearing the overalls, he normally gets pegged as the guy that kind of know what he's doing. I mean, his his attire sort of give him a sort of um, an endeavor or a brand that this guy really knows what knows how to do what he's doing. And so that was another reason why I wore him because my father, grandfather, everybody just just knew he was he was the man. And I just wanted to to carry on that tradition and uh, try to get my son to do it. But uh, yeah, I tell everybody overalls have a, a age minimal. You gotta be 50, 55, 60 and over. <laughs> then you can then you consider it. So till I hit that till I hit that mark, I, I'll stay with the other denim. I'm gonna check in with you in a couple of years. Yeah, give me give me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> How is it working together? Well, for me, it's 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 a dream come true. I uh, I had been trying to get Ryan to come on board in the early early years, and of course, uh, but he was adamant about going on and uh, going on off to college, and uh, so I supported that because he wanted to, he had an endeavor of creating his own image and his own career, but he always had the love and passion of working with me. And uh, the thing I tell people that whenever I began to be noticed about what I was doing and Ryan had an opportunity to read about it, he called me one day, he was at school, and he said, hey, Dan, I got a, a good article on you in the paper. Did you see that? And I said, yeah, I saw it. He said, man, that's good. I said, yeah, but what are you going to do about it? <laughs> he said, well, I tell you, I, I, I would like to be the guy that uh, go in business and have several restaurants. I said, okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what I do. I began laying the groundwork, and you began to build your foundation and creating uh, your home and homing in on your skills of learning the all you can learn about the business trade of it, and then we'll come back together and we'll make a heck of a team. And that's what we've done and so forth. So it's been a real work of uh, labor for me. I've really been enjoying my son, and we, we, we respect each other enough to know I don't get in his lane and he doesn't get in my lane. So, And he, and he compliments me, compliment me very well because there's areas, obviously, that, that he knows and learns about as a young Stuck young uh, kid coming from college, and I went off to college too, but they won't teach him the things that he knows now <laughs> when I was there. So that 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 really makes everything works real well. So we work together very well. Very well. That's the thing. That's one of the underlying things I hope people take away from the book as well. Like uh, the highlight of father and son is on the cover, but it's really the the merger of any parent and any child, uh, any. Uh, uncles, aunts, nephews, you know, an elder and a younger and a person from a different generation really combining to, to, to um, either carry on a tradition or take something that the family is already doing and has a name for it and taking some pride in being the next generation to carry it somewhere. You know, it doesn't have to be for, you know, some billion dollar, uh, you know, situation, but just a continual you know, legacy approach to something that your family is cherishing, you know? 
Well, I'm so grateful that you share it with all of us. And hopefully I can try it as well in my own kitchen. But really, this cookbook is really lovely. It's on so many levels. And I do love how it shares your family, your working together, your community, where you've come from, the history. It's really a great, great book. So thank you so much for spending time with me today. And before I let you go, I have some quick quick closing questions, if you don't mind. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to dinner and you don't have overnight to roast a pig? Um, I am a huge BLT fan. People don't know that. Oh. I like making, um, still gives me a little bit of pork, you know what I mean? But I will, sometimes if I'm on a grill, I'll smoke up some bacon just to have it. You know, I'll, I'll use smoked bacon just to have in the refrigerator. So a quick meal for me is going to be, you know, a nice, a nice cheesy uh, smoked BLT. That's something real easy uh, to get to eat and go through. Sounds good. Well, I like chicken, so <laughs> I, I like to get in there and uh, batter up certain pieces of chicken and fry them. I like good fried chicken. It's just, it's hard to beat for me. So. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. I got to bring in a new generation. The air fryer is amazing too. So we, we, we try not to like, uh, you know, we try to, we try to keep everybody uh, moving forward too. <laughs> there, there's one or two things in there you can make in the air fryer. So I don't want people to be intimidated. That's so true. I, I finally just got an air fryer a few months ago and I use it almost every day. I love it. <laughs> I really want to try those okra, the, the okra recipe that you have? Yeah, throw okra poppers in the air fryer. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so good. Okay, what's one recipe that you treasure the most? I like a uh, recipe that I use for ribs. If you're doing uh, ribs, just try that recipe that I got in there for ribs. Yeah, the ribs was the recipe uh, that we uh, beat Bobby Flay with, so that's a little bit. That's the one he's, he's ch close to the vest on that one. Oh, yeah. We love ribs, too, so I'm definitely trying that. <laughs> Are you messy or neat when you cook? Very neat. Very neat, because I don't like to have a lot to do when I get done. So I'm cleaning up as I go, because when I eat, I want to get somewhere and go to sleep, and I don't want to have to leave a mess. Makes sense. What's a good kitchen tip that you can share? A good kitchen tip is, you know, I think the more organized you are before you start cooking, the better off you'll be. You know, like uh, if you don't start out with... Uh, you know, I like to get everything out that I'm going to use and have it, you know, strategically placed in the kitchen so I can get to it, you know, and save a lot of time without having to worry about, oh, something's burning. And I got to look for something else over here and look for it there. I like to have all my ingredients, you know, very, very uh, accessible, you know, so I'm not just kind of, you know, freestyling all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it's just selecting something that you enjoy cooking that you enjoy really quick preparing rather than experimenting on uh, different things that you haven't tried, you know, just stick to the, stick to the, to the game plan. Stick to the tried and true. <laughs> well, I try to share five little things with my readers, something that made me smile. Is there anything that made you smile this week? Oh man. So many things made me smile this week. Uh, the unboxing, uh, uh, the book got into the hands of, uh, you know, family members before we even saw it. So, uh, 
you know, just kind of seeing their reaction to it, you know, this week, earlier this week uh, was, was something that made me smile because I knew that they, uh, you know, had, had their hands on something that they were proud of. So that made me smile. Yeah. Well, you should be proud. <laughs> Likewise. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me. I really am enjoying this book so much. It's really, really great. I cannot wait to try it. And please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find the book, and if they want to visit you. Absolutely. So they can find us on uh, on Instagram. We're located at the BBQ Prince 1031 and True May Foods at True May Foods. Um, our Facebook page is the Pitmaster and Mitchell. Also, True May Foods um, as well. Uh, our website is uh, thepitmasterandmitchell.com. We have a really nice Q&A section on there to where you can kind of send some some things that you might want to know more about, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Um, also, the book is sold on HarperCollins' website, Amazon's website, Barnes & Noble's, uh, Target.com. It's kind of leaked over to you know, almost any any retail outlet that has uh, an online book presence, you can purchase the book from. You can find us on all those sources. And uh, again, look for our new restaurant and look for our sauces in stores around the country. Uh, we're at over 5,000 Whole Foods, Harris Teeters, Safeways, and online at truemadefoods.com. Yeah, because a lot of the True Made products will go really, really well with the recipes in this book. So. Absolutely. You, you guys are creating an empire. I love it. <laughs> well, I hope to get out there one day and try it myself. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. And, and hopefully I'll see you guys in person one day. Yes, I hope so. Hope so. Thank you. Thank you. After we signed off, Ryan, Ed, and I were chatting about how they started the cookbook writing process in 2016 and how capturing the memories and recipes have truly been about their journey. Two years of the process involved their co-writer, Zella Palmer, curating the process, their life, and the history. It really was such an honor to chat with Ed and Ryan, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend, and I hope you join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. <laughs>